we're back with the conversation on Hawaii Public Radio. This is Catherine Cruz. Today, we focus on efforts to combat fraud and waste in government spending. States are doling out billions of dollars in funding with the deadline fast approaching. The situation is ripe for fraud and abuse. So what can we do? Our guests for our roundtable talk today, State Attorney General Claire Connors, Dan Gluck, Executive Director of the State uh, Hawaii State Ethics Commission, and Hui Chen, uh, Chief Integrity Advisor for the AG's office. Uh, it's a new position there. Uh, Chen, who previously worked in Washington, D.C. with the U.S. Justice Department, uh, she worked as the uh, uh, department's ethics and uh, compliance expert. Good morning, all of you. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Claire, why don't we start with you? Um, why is it so important that we're doing this, that we're spotlighting this? It's very important as we do exactly what you just said, bring billions of dollars into our state right now to help us address this pandemic response. We need to make sure that money is being utilized for the best purposes, for the appropriate purposes, that everybody understands the law, and that people are clear about how the money is supposed to be spent and also have ways to assist the government in our efforts to ensure that it's spent well. I'm glad you mentioned Toi Chen. She was hired into our office back in February. Who knew we would need to bring on this kind of expertise to handle the types of issues we've been addressing during this pandemic? But through her efforts and her experience, we and through this partnership that we just put together with the Ethics Commission, we believe we're putting together a good platform to ensure that we're looking at all possible ways of combating fraud, waste, and abuse. And Hui, talk about you know your experience. I mean, you uh, have a broad, you know, cover a broad spectrum, right? You looked at the corporations, government. Yes, uh, I have spent the majority of my career doing one of two things: uh, being a prosecutor and working uh, within corporations uh, for unethical compliance efforts, particularly focusing on anti-corruption. So I have come to the state government with experience both uh, in the federal government as a prosecutor and also with uh, in-house experience working with other companies, governments, as well as nonprofits on trying to minimize and identify uh, fraud, waste, and abuse both in the corporation and in government. So that's, that's where I, I bring a lot of my focus on these types of issues. And is it your sense that, you know, uh, other states are, are doing the same thing, you know, really trying to focus the public's attention, um, you know, on, on wrong, wrongdoing, if they see it, if they come across it? Uh, certainly, um, I think that's on everybody's mind, uh, even before the, the flood of uh, federal aid money that's coming to the states. But I think every, every you know, every state has people like us who are focused on uh, – making sure its government is operating with integrity and efficiency. Um, but I think every every state uh, is, is different, and every state approaches it somewhat differently. And, Dan, uh, talk about the state ethics laws and how this applies, uh, you know, to the problems of, of fraud and abuse. Sure. Well, the state ethics code applies to all state officials, basically everybody with a state title, um, with the exception of judges and justices, it applies to all employees, all legislators, all board and commission members, even if they're volunteers. And the ethics code itself sets out a number of different issues uh, that are covered, again, that apply to all of these employees. So things like conflicts of interest, uh, things like gifts and the prohibition on receiving certain kinds of gifts. And then there's also a general abuse of power statute 
Um, so all of these things can and do come into play, um, particularly when we talk about procurement issues. You know, I think as we were working through this uh, pandemic, this crisis, you know, the first big uh, fraud uh, that I think made everybody gulp was the unemployment uh, insurance claims, you know, where we had an offshore entity uh, basically uh, siphoning off money, uh, you know, and it happened, you know, apparently here in our state. Uh, but it, this it really is a concerted effort, right? I mean, everybody's got to kind of be on their toes because you're going to get information from, from uh, you know, who knows where. No, that's a, that's a great example to use because that was something that our federal counterparts were on top of, but everybody needed to cooperate because it was through our state offices that a lot of this money was being uh, sent out to what we thought were beneficiaries. So we had to collaborate very closely with our federal counterparts who were investigating this. Um, I was a victim of the fraud. I got one of the letters. So it was very widespread in our community, and it was a very good wake-up call to everybody about how uh, bad actors are still going to be working against us in a crisis like this. Right, and I think with the unemployment office, the labor office, I mean, we had such a massive influx of applications that it really just overwhelmed our system, overwhelmed our staff, and and stuff was just getting out the back door. But I, 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 I'm hoping that we've been able to close that back door, right? Yes, I, I think we, we did turn a lot of attention to it. There were additional systems that were put in place on the state level, uh, again, in cooperation with the federal agencies as well. And it was, as I said, a good wake-up call that led to important protocols being put in place. Now, you folks have launched this uh, hotline and a website. Uh, you, know, you, you did that just a couple of weeks ago. So have we gotten any calls, any tips? I believe we have. Yes, Wayne, we do have. you want to talk about it? Yes, yeah. we have. Yes. Um, so the, 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 the hotline uh, is, is the general term we use to refer to really three different channels of reporting. So uh, anybody with uh, issues that they want to report relating to fraud, waste, and abuse can go one of three ways. They can make a phone call. Uh, they can go in, to an online portal to fill out an online reporting form, or they can send an email. And on the back end, these are managed by, by the part, you know, through the partnership of Ethics Commission and the Attorney General's Office. So um, we have gotten actually all three. We have gotten uh, web portal submissions, we've gotten phone calls, and we've gotten emails. And, and Dan, Dan so what's, what's been your experience? Have you been getting any calls through this? Yeah, so all of the complaints that come in are being shared jointly between the two offices. Um, and I think our, our main goal here is to try to make it as easy as possible for the public to contact us um, because, it, you know, we really have to rely on, um, you know, the public employees who are out there and members of the public who see this going on and then can report to us, right? There are tens of thousands of state employees out there, um, and, you know, we have the limited resources that you would expect in uh, state government. So we really rely on members of the public to bring things to our attention. Um, and so we want to make it as easy as possible for people to contact us, and then we can help to route those complaints to the right uh, agencies and the right people to investigate them. Um, so as uh, uh, Hui was mentioning, we do have a phone number, so people can just call. It's 587-0000. They can email uh, antifraud at hawaii.gov. They can go to the website, antifraud.hawaii.gov. 
Um, they can also contact either of our offices directly if they sort of forget all of these things. Um, we're available, but we do want people to contact us um, so that we can monitor these things as best as we can. Okay. Well, we... I might just add too that uh, the initial reporting is confidential, so people should have um, confidence that their information, at least on the initial reporting aspect of it, is going to be treated with confidentiality. But again, as Dan said, what we're encouraging people to is to speak up if they see something. Okay. Well, we actually have a call on the line. Uh, Lay from Honolulu. What's on your mind? Hi. Uh, good morning. Uh, so you know, I I read the Hawaiian newspaper. In, in it, the Council for the Native Hawaiian Advancement, there is this program called Kahi'ao, and, um, you know, saying that it will help with our utility bill. So I went ahead and I signed up, sent in all my paperwork. Um, uh, you know, and I, they would email me back saying they got it and look like I qualify. And it's been like two months and I, about uh, two, two and a half months. And um, so I was, you know, it was hard to get them on the phone. Finally got them, and, uh, you know, they said, okay, it looks like it's um, good to go. Well, I'll, I'll send it to my workers. And then I haven't heard from them for three weeks. Then finally got them on the phone again and then uh, said, oh, okay, um, uh, okay, looks, everything looks good. The, the check should be in the mail. So, of course, it doesn't come to me. It goes straight to whatever utilities I needed to get paid. Um, but three weeks passed and nothing. So, you know, I would call my electric company. Did you guys get the check? Nothing. You know, and then finally last week, um, it's like a different program is starting again. So because the person that I was normally talking to is not available and her number doesn't work and I wasn't getting the emails that I used to. And so um, uh, this past Friday, um, when I got someone on the phone, she said that, um, you know, that I, this time I have a client number and that she was, the workers was on, on some kind of training. So she was going to email them to see if, um, you, know, um, you know, to contact me. And so it's been about like three days since last Friday. I haven't heard from anybody. but. You know, I just felt like, you know, I was waiting this long because, you know, maybe something happened. I don't know, but it's, um, you know, two and a half months. And, you know, when they said the check was going to be in the mail, you know, I kind of thought, well, maybe that takes about another week or so. You know, so can I, sorry, um, uh, if I can jump in for Again, um, thank you so much for the call, and I'm, I'm sorry to hear that you're having uh, such trouble with this agency. Um, I think first off, um, we, as uh, the Attorney General had mentioned, we do want to preserve uh, confidentiality when people are calling in. Um, and so uh, it sounds like you have this, this individual case that uh, maybe someone should take a look at. So you can contact us directly, uh, again, through the phone, through the website, uh, through email, and we can take a look at it. Um, the, the one other thing I wanted to add is, you know, at the Ethics Commission, we do get you know, a, a fair number of complaints where people seem kind of generally dissatisfied with um, government services or with the, with the service they've received from an individual. And, and again, I'm not suggesting that that's happened here, but um, generally for our office, you know, we, we don't normally have jurisdiction over complaints that a government official is um, doing their job poorly. 
um, or that government officials are making bad policy decisions. What we're usually looking for is, is there some kind of uh, abusive position, right? Um, or in the case of this joint effort that we're working on right now, is there some kind of fraud or waste or abuse? Is, is somehow state money being used for an improper purpose? And so we'd be happy to take a look at your individual issue um, to see if that's happening. And, you know, maybe it would be helpful if we just broke down, you know, what what exactly are we talking about, uh, you know, when we're talking about fraud, waste, and abuse? You know, I think uh, in this particular case with this caller, she just isn't sure if these um, programs are legit, right? Or did she just give away information that could, you know, impact her uh, her credit? Uh, so, I don't know, Claire, do you want to just give us kind of a broad brush here? Or, or what are we looking at specifically? Sure. Well, it can run the gamut. It can run the gamut from some kind of criminal violations, and that's where our office would have particular expertise. Uh, it could be civil. It could be administrative violations. There could be a number of different aspects as we look at what the facts uh, say about a particular situation, and that's part of the reason why we want to, to be on board to kind of work through some of this. There's the False Claims Act, which our state has, where persons can bring ETAM actions, uh, which are essentially prosecuting situations where fraudulent claims have been made for payment or there have been false statements that have been made that are material, which means they've caused something to happen that's adverse to the government. Uh, there are certain intentionality requirements that are um, required to show that somebody knew what they were doing when they were skimming money or taking money or somehow diverting money. So we, uh, in conjunction with, with um the state ethics office can take a look at the full panoply of laws and regulations and rules that are out there to see whether or not any of this conduct fits into one particular um, legal framework. Whereas I think Dan can talk a little bit more. He's got a statute that uh, allows him to look mostly at civil matters, and that's sort of a subset of what we would, um, with AG's office, be looking at. So, Dan, you want to jump in there? Um, sure. I think the the one part of our law that we rely on uh, frequently is called the Fair Treatment Law, um, and it's a statute that really prevents state officials from abusing their authority to benefit themselves or to benefit others or to retaliate against others. Uh, so if uh, anyone out there believes that there is a, um, a state employee who is somehow abusing their position, um, and, and this can come up in a number of ways. You know, we've had cases where, uh, you know, supervisors are requiring subordinate employees to do work for them on the weekend at their house. Um, we've had situations where people are using their state offices for private work that they do on the side, right, using their uh, state paid assistance to help them with their private business activities on the side. Um, we've had cases involving sexual harassment. Um, we've had cases... Uh, again, involving uh, use, uh, lots of use of state resources for second jobs and other things like that. Um, we also have cases where people use state funds to buy equipment, to buy uh, property of some kind, and then they, they take it, I mean, outright theft. So some of these kinds of cases are just within the Ethics Commission's purview. Some of them could be joint between the Attorney General's office and the Ethics Commission. Uh, and part of this project is to try to um, save the public from having to figure out where it should go and just come to our sort of one-stop shop so that we can um, help to address the underlying issues. So you might have... And the thing I would... 
Sorry, I, the thing I would add to that is that our office can look not just at state employees, but also contractors and others who are doing work with state and, and, and using state resources. Yeah, I, I was going to bring up, like, it could be a situation where you're steering government contracts to your your relatives or, or your buddies, right? Uh, or giving favorable, right, uh, you know, give, giving them an unfair advantage, you know, giving a vendor an unfair advantage uh, for competing for a contract. Right, and that could be something that falls into to Dan's purview. In our situation, too, there could be uh, a contractor who is using state funds in a way that um, is, is problematic as well. So we can expand beyond just the state employee and look at how state – there's a lot of contract involvement in the use of these funds, too, so that's an area of concern for us as well. And, Wei, I don't know, with your experience with the Justice Department, is there any one area that, uh, that, that stands out? Um, you know, with what you've seen, with uh, your experience? No, I mean, I think all of the areas that's been mentioned, um, the examples that's been given about, you know, with fraud, waste, and abuse is, is really quite common, um, in, unfortunately, in all levels of government as well as in, in, in the private sector. And when we're talking waste, you know, what are we talking about? Just the, some inefficient system where, I don't know, federal money is just going out the back door? Well, the, in in the um, on, on our website that that we have jointly launched, we define waste as the thoughtless or careless expenditure, um, manage, mismanagement, or abuse of resources to the detriment of the government. So, what we are focusing on here is obviously public funding. So, the examples that we give are um, situations where. For example, in procurement, uh, somebody ignores competitive bidding requirements when when that's required. So that's that's slightly different. So you you, can, you talked about steering contracts to your relatives or or friends, right? So you there's also a situation when someone is not doing quite that, but they're just not essentially doing the shopping that they're required to do um, to make sure they get the best deal for the government. That we would just, we would categorize as as waste. Um, buying overpriced equipment. Um, again, not particularly because you're trying to deceive the government. That would be more like fraud, um, but just being thoughtless about it. And Claire, what's the status of our procurement laws during this uh, uh, emergency, during this crisis? Right. So they are not suspended in their entirety. The way that an emergency works and we are in an emergency period right now. We have been since March 4th when the governor declared an emergency related to COVID-19. Some procurement measures do get suspended so that government can continue to function effectively. And government as an essential service still needs to provide uh, certain services and oftentimes needs to do more in an emergency to respond. So in instances where it's necessary, for example, when we do some contracts, we can't get IRS the clearances anymore because the IRS is not providing those clearances because of the pandemic. So we need to make arrangements for certain procurement um, uh, measures so that we can continue to, to buy the things we need and to engage in uh, contracts with companies. But procurement per se is not suspended in its entirety because we want to ensure that the very reasons we have a procurement code to ensure that we are dealing with businesses in the right way are not put to the wayside in an emergency. But we can't, in all instances, 
follow every measure of the procurement code, especially when we have to expend this money by December 2020. A lot of the money that came through the coronavirus relief fund must be expended by December 2020. So sometimes there's certain aspects of the procurement code that need to be suspended so that we can get the timing addressed and not lose out on money. But that's being carefully weighed at every measure, and we continually assess it. But it's important to know that the procurement code is not suspended in its entirety during this period. Now, I just jumped on the University of Hawaii uh, website, and I think there, were, there was a list of uh, exemptions, you know, uh, for uh, various contracts, you know, for wh- whether it's doing a campaign or, uh, you know, uh, uh, I guess launching a new program. Uh, is there any, any difference then with, like, say, the state procurement or the University of Hawaii's procurement process? Uh, I, they... My understanding is they would be subject to the same procurement code uh, chapters that, that all um, state agencies are. I'm, I'm not sure if there's any specific provisions. Uh, as I said, with respect to what types of goods we're looking to buy for this emergency period or to procure for this emergency period, there might be uh, different exemptions that are made as we determine that there are problems with getting those goods. But as to the specific UH, I don't know, Dan, if you know better than I do, but I, I'm pretty sure that they are subject to the same 103D chapters that the rest of the state is. Yeah, I, I don't know specifically. The the one other thing I would add, though, is that, you know, even to the extent that the procurement code, that there have been some tweaks to allow for emergency spending, the ethics code is still fully in place. And so uh, state employees are still prohibited from, you know, using their state positions to try to steer contracts towards, you know, themselves, friends, relatives. Um, and there are provisions in our conflicts of interest law and also provisions in our fair treatment law that cover all these things. Um, so I think that the one thing that I would like um, the public to know is just if you think something is wrong, please call us. Um, you know, I think I'm often surprised that when we get complaints about thing A, we'll start to investigate and then we'll realize, well, there's thing A, but there's also B, C, D, and E, right? Um, often dishonest conduct by an individual um, permeates lots of different areas. And so you start pulling on a thread of uh, conduct on one thing and you find out that there are other bigger problems uh, underlying um, the, the agency or um, you know, that individual's conduct. So please you know, do call us. Uh, we've got the email, the website, the phone number. Um, Well, you're listening to the conversation here on Hawaii Public Radio. Our guests in our studio are Dan Gluck, State Ethics Director, uh, Huey Chen, Chief Integrity Officer for the State Attorney General's Office, and Claire Connors, Hawaii's Attorney General. Uh, You know, states are under pressure to spend CARES money, but fraud alert, we do need to be watching for potential abuse and waste. You can join the discussion by calling 1-877-941-3689. But stay with us. We'll be right back after a short break. Support for Hawaii Public Radio comes from Inkinen Executive Search, helping Hawaii organizations find leaders to navigate in times of change. More information at Inkinen.com. President Trump has attacked his opponent's political record. Joe Biden has been on the wrong side of history for 47 years. Biden says four more years of Trump would mean chaos. You are not safer in Donald Trump's America. I'm Audie Cornish. Join NPR Tuesday night for special live coverage of the first presidential debate from NPR News. Beginning Tuesday afternoon at 3 here on HBR One. Thank you. 
Foodlands Give Aloha program makes it easy to donate to your favorite charity and it matches your gift. Shop at any Foodland, Sack and Save, and Foodland Farm stores this month and designate Hawaii Public Radio at checkout. Your donation helps to sustain our statewide public service and along with your groceries, you'll take home our big mahalo. Support for Hawaii Public Radio comes from Ruby Tuesday Hawaii, following health guidelines, offering dine-in and take-out daily at its restaurants and bars in Kapolei, Mililani, Moanalua, and Kaneohe. RubyTuesdayHawaii.com. the conversation. You know, earlier this month, we talked to EPA's Amy Miller. She's the director of the Division of Compliance and Enforcement Division of Region 9. Miller talked to us about a cease and desist order against Hui Restoration. It was a local company that was using an unregistered chemical in a process that was being advertised to kill the coronavirus. Uh, It was being used in our prisons and jailhouses. And EPA says uh, it's been monitoring Internet sales and local news reports and looking out for fraudulent activity. It's a problem across the country. But here's Miller talking about what uh, she was seeing in our harbors. In Honolulu, at the port there, we've denied entry to 4,929, 25 shipments. A majority of these are sanitation cards, disinfectant wipes. In fact, the first shipment we denied during the pandemic happened in Honolulu on March 2nd. So we've been quite busy. And Miller was saying that, yeah, it's just happening across the country. And Huey, uh, I don't know, uh, you know, what were you seeing, you know, with your uh, experience there in the Justice Department? Yeah, what I've been seeing is really what a lot of public has been seeing. This is precisely the type of activities where people are taking advantage of the pandemic in a variety of ways, whether it's you know deception of consumers or uh, fraud against the the government in terms of uh, in terms of uh, trying to double dip, trying to uh, get qualified to receive funds that you're not eligible to receive. So this type of activity unfortunately happens on a daily basis. But when you have an infusion of a large amount of money that needs to be amount spent quickly and in an environment where there's pressure to spend this money and where controls may be re- relaxed in some way, uh, then, yes, every, every kind of activity comes out, including what uh, was referenced in the, in the EPA example. Right. And, you know, we're talking basically fake products, some that could be dangerous. Uh, we, we don't know what, what's in some of this stuff. Uh, uh, and you know the federal government has released a list of you know whatever it is bad disinfectants, uh, uh, and uh, and things just aren't uh, that aren't what they say they are. Uh, but you know Claire, your office worked with the EPA EPA on this uh, particular issue with the unregistered yes, chemical. Did. Yes, we did, and and that's an important part of this too is that we did work with the EPA federal. Uh, uh, agents who were involved in this because a lot of what we're seeing now is just the fact that these are new products. This is a pandemic that is based on a disease we've not seen before. So there's a lot of 
new types of products that are being marketed for sanitation purposes, for health purposes. So part of it is figuring out what is is truly going to be beneficial for the response that we're trying to achieve and what is just pure fraud and what is just uh, uh a problem that we need to address. So we did work with the EPA, particularly about the the, the fogging, uh, the dry fogging um, product, because it was a concern. We want to be able to offer a product across the board when we have to disinfect for COVID-related reasons, but we need to make sure that it's safe. And so having that communication with our federal counterparts was important, and it helped us all achieve that goal of, of being safe with respect to some of these new products that we're seeing. And I know that they had also worked with the Department of Agriculture because I think this was under the pesticide uh, part of the law in, as to you know what this chemical really was. That's right. That's right. And it did come down to a pesticide, and then it did come down to whether or not the product uh, was later modified not to include that pesticide and if that was going to be an okay modification. So there were a lot of different components, and it was important that we were all dialoguing about it as it was unfolding. Are you involved in, in a number of these other cases involving uh, some of these uh, products that are coming into our ports? To, to some degree, uh, we're also involved, as Sway said, on some of the consumer aspects, too. So we have an Office of Consumer Protection that, that's under uh, one of our sister agencies, DCCA. And so a lot of these products that we see, we're kind of doing, again, an all-hands-on-deck review of whether or not they meet what they they meet in terms of safety requirements and whether they do what they say they do in terms of um, their their product attestation. So, yes, we, we, we are seeing some of these things, and um, not all of it can we make public. Sometimes it's a one-way train. You tell us, and we'll do the investigation, but because an investigation is only so good as our ability to um, investigate it with sound um, security principles, then sometimes it's not clear to the public what um, we're doing, but we are working on it. Yeah, because I think with this particular case, I think it was flagged oh, earlier this summer, right, like in June. And then mm-hmm. I, I think uh, our inspectors on the ground, I think at the Ag Department, you know, had to go um, poking around <laughs> to figure out, you know, what exactly was being used. Uh, but it's interesting, you know, d- because you've got this, you know, multi-agency approach uh, because EPA doesn't really have, you know, the boots on the ground here. Right, right. And so we try to provide them that kind of support. When they, when they do flag something, when they do see something, um, our doors are open to collaborate. Can we talk about, I guess, protections um, that the law might allow for when you have people who are willing to go to your website or willing to call in about a problem? You know, the Whistleblower Act? I mean, I don't know. What, what's out there? Yes. So I did previously mention the False Claims Act, and our state does have a, a very robust false claims uh, for anyone who is thinking to make a false claims report or to pursue a key time action, I do suggest you, you consult an attorney. But if you were to do that, there is a whistleblower component to that. So if you were to want to report to the state uh, evidence of false or fraudulent claims by an employee, a contractor, or some kind of agent of the state, your employer would not be able to retaliate against you. Or if they did, there would be consequences for that. So yes, the False Claims Act for our state does have built into it specifically 661-30, a, quote, relief from retaliatory actions if you are to bring forward some kind of a case that would then be worked with the state, potentially, and then also uh, become a a false claims uh, case. And, uh, you know, we did get uh, uh, an email uh, from someone who wrote in um, 
says it uh, recently a civil beat reported that uh, 1.2 million dollars was awarded to three companies to produce sanitizer and face shields if you've been to any store it appears to me that hand sanitizers are in overabundance a couple of weeks ago i heard on uh, hpr a morning edition uh, they interviewed a gentleman who said he retooled his company to make face shields and he said look they're all stacked up how many face shields have you seen people wearing? Most usage would be in healthcare facilities. Maybe I'm wrong. What is in demand is the N95s, which affords best protection, and that requires more advanced technology to manufacture. Just like to see monies go to useful things, not just being stockpiled. Uh, so that was from a, a, a listener who was just concerned. You know, I mean, how do you know when something might be amiss when these contracts are are being let? Right, and I think it comes in, in from two different places. One, either you're in on the action, right? You're someone who's involved in the procurement of this. You're someone involved in how these, these goods are being obtained and how they're being stockpiled, and you see something that's not right, right? If you're a public employee or if you're a contractor, if you're someone who's who sees it, and therefore you might have pertinent or percipient evidence to give us. But you might just be someone who is um, not sure, was curious to find out more, and that's what this hotline, this website that Dan Way talked about, is set up to do, to give us as much specific information as you can. The more specifics we have, the, the better our ability to drill down on it. I will say that I, I know with HAIMA, uh, which is our Hawaii Emergency Management Agency, there's been a very significant focus on ensuring we have for our healthcare workers, but also for other persons involved in first responder type activities, that supplies that they need throughout this course of the pandemic. So there's been a lot of consolidation, a lot of oversight, a lot of discussion about not just stockpiling, but ensuring that as we see utilization rates, we are uh, appropriately ordering and making sure that there's a sufficient supply to handle all of the different needs. And, and that's taken about eight months as we've all worked through this, but, but they do have a very good system set up for ensuring that our supplies are going where they need to go in the state. And then you're with the State Ethics Commission. Um, you know, what if there are people out there that work for the city, you know, the counties, one of the, the counties on the neighbor islands, uh, can they still use this website? Yeah, absolutely. So, again, we're trying to make this as easy as possible for the public to contact us. Uh, and if it does turn out to be uh, an issue that is specific to the city and county or one of the neighbor island counties, Again, it very well may be within the jurisdiction of the Attorney General's office, um, and we can also liaise with the different county ethics boards if it turns out to be a county-specific ethics issue. Um, but I, I, I just want people to be able to come to us because um, you know folks don't need to figure out which office they need to go to. Uh, we're trying to make this so that people can just call us and we can help figure out where it needs to go. Well, you know, also this month, the state released uh, more money to help those who have lost uh, their jobs, uh, you know, to help them pay rent. Uh, we did talk to the Hawaii Housing and Finance Development Corporation recently about how it's working with the counties to prevent fraudulent applications. Here's Director Denise Isiri Matsubara. We installed a smart sheet software. This is the same software that the city and county of Honolulu is using. That was designed on purpose so that the data can somehow be coordinated so we can avoid duplicate payments. And I believe all of the counties will be using something similar except for Hawaii County because they already were on a different software system stemming back to 2018 during the Kilauea eruption, I believe. And, you know, Hui, maybe you can talk about, you know, uh, 
computer systems, you know, because ju different jurisdictions probably have different systems that don't talk to each other, and it probably makes it hard to account for where, you know, the money's going. Yes, this is um, always a big challenge because so much of this uh, anti-fraud work can be done through data analytics. But in order to analyze the data, you have to actually get the data to talk to each other. Um, so it, this, this, is a, this is a challenge, uh, again, not just with government agencies using different softwares and different systems. You know, this is a type of question problem that I've seen yeah, in, in the private sector as well as in the, in the federal government. And fortunately, however, we're we're in a in a time in history where our technology is um, is able to. So there is tech, technology is allowing us the possibilities to harmonize data when necessary. Now, it, when when I say that, it you know I make it sound easy. It's not. Um, but you can begin with something as um, as. I don't want to say simple because it sounds simple, but it's really not in terms of deploying the same software system. But there are also ways, you know, situations where you can't, you just can't get the two sets of data or multiple sets of data to, to be harmonized in a way that you can use and analyze them. Uh, there are, there is sort of technology, poss technological possibilities to harmonize those data. Now, that's actually uh, a significant amount of work uh, when someone actually has to harmonize data from across the system. Uh, it's possible. Uh, it's not easy work to do, and it's the it's the type of stuff that I think you know we in the state government are beginning to look to to see where do we need to look at uh, you know to compare data, are those data sets in harmony with each other to the extent that we can analyze them and to use that an analytic to detect anomalies. Um, if not, what are the solutions that we can get in terms of trying to harmonize those data so that we can use them for detection? Well, if you're just joining the conversation, we're talking about battling fraud and waste, and we'd like to know what you think. Join the discussion by calling 941-3689 or 1-877-941-3689 from the neighbor islands. And, uh, Dan, I know that uh, since you've uh, become the director there at the Ethics Commission, you've been rolling out uh, training uh, for folks uh, just so they understand what the laws are and where not to you know, run afoul. <laughs> Absolutely. So we have uh, developed an online training module for state employees. Um, it takes about 30 minutes, and so you can get an overview of the ethics code that way. Um, prior to the pandemic, we were doing a lot of in-person trainings. Obviously, we've had to cut those back, and we're retooling to offer those virtually instead. But uh, if there are any state agencies, state employees who are interested in training, uh, they can go to our website and uh, put in a request for training. We're happy to accommodate that. And Hui, you have got uh, a background with ethics as well. I, I mean, I'm sure, you know, folks uh, would be uh, well advised to kind of make a call first and check to see if I award this contract or if there's a potential conflict, you know, uh, just, you know, what's the, the lay of the land before you do something that could uh, get you in trouble, right? Right. So when we talk about ethics and compliance, it really is a, a, an architecture um, of, of different components that allow people to make the right choices. So the, the fraud reporting initiative that we've been talking about is one element of that, type, that, that overall system. So training that you've mentioned is something that's, that's very important. Um, being able to give advice 
to agencies and government officials as they make decisions is very important. The Attorney General's office uh, works with all the, the state, you know, with a few exceptions, would directly works um, with all of the state agencies and uh, departments in advising them uh, in their daily operations. So this is not just an area of uh, federal funding, but really across the board. I mean, the, the department acts as the general counsel to these state departments and agencies. So in that daily advice and guidance uh, interaction, uh, we, we provide the type of guidance that's and, and legal advice that allow them to make choices and make decisions that are in compliance with both the ethics code and applicable laws and applications. So that all those are different components of how we hope um, to provide good governance to the uh, to the to the overall operation of the government. And Claire, you know, it's been a real. Uh been a, a tough six months and we've learned new things about the virus you know that uh, has helped us to guide our health policies but we've also learned uh, about uh, some of the fraud that that's uh, underway and you know we've got to tighten up uh, our systems and our processes to make sure that uh, uh, we can stop this uh, hemorrhaging of, of money to these, uh, these these crooks yes yes so it's it's absolutely a priority for all of us on the phone here today. This is one of the reasons we all got involved in government is to ensure that we could see that kind of justice and the utilization of, of funds and, and in government operations. So it's, it's exactly what Hui and Dan said. We started this whole pandemic response out back in February and March with this idea of educating, drilling down on what was going to be required from our respective offices to help us get through this in an ethical and an efficient way. And we've set up in our department teams of attorneys from different cross-sections of the department to look at, for example, CARES Act funding, how we spend it, what are the rules, how do we then advise and train our sister agencies, and then how do we explain to the public how this money is being used and, and what's the best course of action for getting us through this pandemic with these kind of resources coming to us. So that's the front end. And then as we work putting it into operation, we also have to be conscious of uh, the bad actors out there, and we are going to continue to see bad actors. When we had the mortgage fraud in the late 2000s, we then saw you know, the latest iteration of fraud and bad actors, and we're going to see that here, too. So we're fully prepared for a lot of activity to be running through our department as we help drill down on some of the newest and latest iterations of, of fraud. You know, um, we did have the, I think, the city and county, you know, step up uh, their uh, office, you know, with the with the dashboard on, on CARES money spending so they could account for, you know, what's going out. Um, uh, but I don't know. Dan, do you want to add something in here uh, about, you know, how we just kind of keep the transparency out there and, and uh, you know, the importance of good data? Well, what I was... Uh what we tend to see uh, is that there are, you know, you have most government employees um, are really working very hard every day to do the very best they can for the people of Hawaii. Um, and you have these, these little pockets where uh, bad behavior has gone unchecked, um, often for years. Um, and when people come to us um, uh, or to the attorney general's office um, with concerns 
usually the first thing we hear is, look, I, I don't want to stick my neck out, right? I don't want to be the one to make waves here about this issue. I'm just not sure that this is right. Um, and so the, the one thing I really wanted to emphasize is that we really rely on um, people who are within these agencies or who are with the contractors or who are seeing behavior that you think is wrong. Um, you know, it, it's really up to you to try to help stop this kind of behavior because uh, without you speaking up, things aren't going to change. And so if you would like to see something different happen, we are here for you. We are here to try to help address uh, these kinds of issues that we've been talking about. We do have the tools um, between us to try to um, make things better. And so we really hope that people will contact us if you think that something is amiss. And you know, Claire, I know that uh, state government has been working for some time to to upgrade our technology, our computer systems. Um, you know, we we saw the tax department, you know, undergo the modernization um, uh, program. I think uh, the labor department was in is also in the process. It just got slammed with the the number of uh, applications, uh, you know, the claims that came in. But is there anything that you want to say just about, you know, our ability to function with sometimes antiquated systems? Yes. So some of the challenges that we had before the pandemic only got worse when the pandemic hit. And, of course, now everyone is aware of the shortfall that our um, state treasury is going to be experiencing. And that's going to have an impact on our state resources because we're, for the most part, largely general general funds, uh, generally funded, right? We're funded by general funds. So we are going to start having to do more with less in government, but that's not been the first time that we've been called on as, as government um, employees to do more with less. And so there is a commitment on behalf of a lot of us to do that and to try to figure out how we can operate with the kind of data and the systems that we have now and how we can make the right choices about moving into better technology as those become available to us. And do you think uh, because lots of workers are working from home that, you know, maybe is a, a little bit of a disadvantage because they're not in the office, maybe with another set of eyes? That's that's interesting. So we're seeing a couple things. One, we're actually seeing some efficiencies with some of the remote working because we're seeing uh, possibly the ability to consolidate some of our um, office spaces. And, and there will be some good things that come out of this experience in that sense that'll help us save money. But yes, um, there are a lot of disadvantages, and some of it is exactly that, the ability to cross-check each other, the ability to, um, to, to talk and to really work through some of the issues as, as we see them. There's a lot of synergy that comes from that, but we're, we're adopting, and we're trying to ensure that those types of synergies can be created virtually as well. And, Dan, is there anything that you're seeing with uh, just this whole idea of, you know, lots of uh, employees working from home? Um, I think as a as a parent with two uh, elementary school kids at home, um, I, I I know I'm struggling. I know a lot of people are struggling to balance, um, and uh, so I don't know that I have anything else to add other than that. Uh, you know, these times are really difficult for everybody, um, and you know, with, with the initiative that we have right now, we're not interested in. Um, you know, if, if someone is concerned that, oh, someone's working at home and they're only working, you know, seven and a half hours in a day instead of eight, um, we know that people are trying to cope the best we can. What we're really looking for is, is there fraud, is there waste, is there abuse in state government? Um, and those are the things that we will focus our resources on. 
Yeah, it, it's been interesting as we've been doing uh, interviews uh, over the past several months. You know, like I didn't realize that you can't really use your CARES money to pay your water bill. Um, you can for um, your power bill, uh, but because our sewer and you know water are they're government entities, uh, I just thought that was a, a an interesting uh, aspect. You know, there's also the the rental issues. You can't pay your your uh, your parents for your rent uh, when you know with the CARES money. So um, I don't know, just a very interesting uh, uh, situations that uh, COVID nineteen has has laid on us. Uh, we've got oh, about three minutes or so. I don't know. Uh, any final thoughts? You should go around the table. Sure. I, I just want to say how excited I am about this hotline, about this ability to reach out and do exactly as Dan said, get the public um, involved in what we are committed to doing, which is making sure government is operating at the highest level of integrity with the best utilization of these funds and doing so in incredibly challenging circumstances. So this a joint effort with the Hawaii State Commission Ethics Commission is just one aspect of a number of things we're working on, and it's it's a very exciting time for for those of us who are committed to good government. Uh, Hui, I echo what he, uh, Claire has said. I uh, I'm very excited, particularly about the partnership with the Ethics Commission. I think um, the more we can work across different aspects of the, the 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 government, the better off we are. And now with this effort. We're also uh, wanting to empower the public, so um, we we're very excited about what we're uh, we're hoping to accomplish here. And Dan, uh, ditto. I think the attorney general was really uh, thinking ahead when she started to prioritize uh, a lot of these good government issues uh, even prior to the pandemic, and so I think we're really well situated to address these issues, um, and we're looking forward to working on these in the future. Okay, and uh, uh, Claire, I don't know, any final uh, message you want to get out to our Neighbor Island listeners? Yes, um, the Neighbor Islands have been good working partners with the states through a lot of their county efforts, and I should note that there is also a false claims aspect to our code that pertains to the counties. So especially, um, you know, with respect to the Utilization of CARES Act money, if we see things going awry there, too, there are specific provisions to deal with that. So we're all in this together, and the way our emergency response is set up is the state is working closely with the counties and closely with the neighbor islands, and that's been a very productive aspect of, of this whole emergency response. All right. Well, we, we will have uh, the numbers and the links on our website, but we'd like to thank our guests, State Attorney uh, General Claire Connors, Hui Chen and State Ethics Director Dan Gluck. And we thank you, the listener, for joining us on today's show. Again, we will have links to all that information on hawaiipublicradio.org. Share your thoughts about combating fraud during these COVID times. Contact the Talkback Line. Record your comments. That number, 792-8217. You can also email us at talkback at hawaiipublicradio.org. And if you want to listen back to today's show, check out the Conversation Podcast at hawaiipublicradio.org. I'm Catherine Cruz. Join us tomorrow for more of the conversation.